Okay, good evening everyone. Welcome to our Saturday Dhamma session. Tonight we're looking at the fetters. The sutta that we're looking at is called the Mahamalunkya Sutta. Because the the focus of the sutta is, or the prem, the introduction of the sutta is focused on a monk named Malunkya who seems to have been a, a bit of a failure as a as a meditator and as a, a Buddhist. He uh, the sutta before this one he has all sorts of questions about the world and the world eternal is the world infinite and so on lots of speculative questions and the Buddha was quite hard on him for that uh, and in this sutta he's he appears the, the commentary says he holds this view that and it's an important one to address that The fetters, when we talk about fetters, a fetter is something that keeps you tied, something that ties you, something like that binds you. And what the Buddha means by this, and what we mean by this in Buddhism, are those things that shackle us to problems, keep us tied to suffering. When we're in a, find ourselves in a situation where the results aren't what we want, we lose something we want, we like, love, we become we become connected with something that we don't like. Something bad happens to us. Well, we're stuck, right? We're tied to it. We we strive to find a way to free ourselves from the suffering. And there's so much of it in some people's lives that it can feel overwhelming that we really are in a prison now for many of us life seems fine it seems quite comfortable but there are you know, certainly well, at least we can see it's certainly possible to become quite imprisoned by suffering you know someone who is a victim of gun violence in the US in America there's so many people being shot and children shooting other children and then if you're a parent who's lost your child from that it can be crippling people who are deeply in debt in poverty in countries of the world where they are um, hunted or, or in constant fear of their safety or their lives 
life can be a lot of a lot of stress and suffering. In Puerto Rico, where there was a, a great disaster and loss of the the basic necessities of life and all the suffering there. So the Buddha talks about fetters as the things pointing out, trying to find the the essence of, of what is really keeping us tied to suffering, keeping us bound to it. And so he has a list of ten, and I think it's a useful list, it's, it's one of the core teachings of Buddhism, and in this sutta he goes over the first five. So, but, sorry, the thing about Malunkya is Malunkya had this idea that one is only fettered, one is only tied, one is only imprisoned when when these things arise in the mind. At other times one is free. So what that means is that an ordinary person living their ordinary life is is uh, is is pure. And we only give rise, we only become imprisoned when we give rise to these, what turn out to be states of mind, right? The fetters in Buddhism are not actually your experiences. It's not because you lost something you loved, it's because you loved the thing that you lost. And and by loved, we don't mean love, we mean we are attached to it. We We needed it. We required it in order to be happy. And so it's it, the the Buddha. The Buddha explained. In Buddhism, we see the 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 the, the, the ordinary state of a human being is one that is caught up with these fetters and it's because they're based on not an active arising of mental illness for lack of a better word or the problem in the mind but they come about because of ignorance that our ordinary state has some problems and that we have to remove so buddhism isn't about avoiding bad states of mind, it's about improving our understanding really ultimately gaining wisdom wisdom about reality that we don't have naturally that isn't something we're born with and th this this becomes quite clear in the first fetter, so the first fetter is uh, what he calls sakayaditi, personality belief the view that we have a personality. I mean, that's not something you sometimes uh, take up. It's something that's quite ingrained in, in our psyche. You know, I know who I am. I, I'm this sort of person, and, and it's me. You know? And this is a fetter in Buddhism because this... Well, this is where ego comes from. This is where conceit comes from. It's where arrogance, it's where possessiveness 
comes from. We have so many ideas about the self that, that somehow self-worth is important. We recognize that someone who has low self-esteem is going to be prone to suffering. So we, we try to address that. We say, well, you have to be you have to be confident, you know, you have to love yourself, you have to find you have to think that you're special and worth something. As I've said before, you know, our philosophy is more you're, we're all worthless, really. Which is a very hard thing to say and to hear. But, but it, I, can, I, can, I can justify saying it. I mean, I can justify, I can justify it immediately by, by pointing to the emotion that that gives rise to. When I say, we're all worthless, you're, all, you're worthless, don't think you're special. How how upsetting that becomes and 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 off-putting. And the reason is because we have it we have it we have a, a view of self we have a personality belief in it. It's just one example of the many ways that we're vulnerable. We're vulnerable to suffering because of our belief because of our this you know really deeply rooted primary primal perception, conception of, of reality. And reality is really quite simple. There is experience. You know, there's, I, I have no qualms about trying to, about, about claiming, making claims about what reality is. It's, it's quite simple. There's seeing. That's clear. There's hearing. Smelling. There's tasting. There's feeling. And there's thinking. Those things exist. Those are real. But the personality, the I, there's two things that are wrong with it. First of all, it's it's problematic. As I said, it's the the consequences of having a view of self, having a sense of of self or would lead to low self-esteem. I mean, you can't have low self-esteem if you don't have any concern about self, um, you know, conceit and, and arrogance, possessiveness. But, but on, a deeper, uh, on a deeper level, it just has nothing to do with reality. Uh, and it, it really takes you out of sync with reality because who we are is really just a complex um, you know, sort of jumble of habits. So to say I am this sort of person or that sort of person, I mean really more, te if you want to be more technically accurate, you could say I've developed this habit and and, and so that's a common occurrence for me. You know, I... Maybe I have, have been very generous in my life, or you, you've been a kind person. And so because of those actions and those experiences coming up repeatedly, that's now, a, that's now what you call a part of your personality. But technically it's not a personality, an ego, an, a soul, a self. It's just the results of a habit. 
maybe you're a person who thinks a lot, reads a lot, and so when you're sitting in meditation, clearly it's because of the habit. You think a lot when you meditate, trying to focus, and instead you're distracted. If you're a person who is uh, engages in great uh, sensuality, then you might be sitting thinking about food or thinking about romance or, or any number of things. Music, many meditators will hear music in their head because they're fond of listening to music at home. So the the idea that we have a self, the idea of, of the personality is quite contrary to what's actually happening, which actually uh, what is actually real, and that is experience, moment to moment experience of seeing and hearing and so on, and habits that are based on these. So. Reactions, seeing and then liking the seeing or disliking the seeing, pain and then disliking the pain, and the creation of, of habits such that a little bit of pain is, for example, quite disturbing to us. You know, falling in love with someone, uh, a, a lover or a child, uh, and and cultivating that. Uh, that attachment, and then the you know the results and and causes and effects, and so this is what you actually see, you actually can observe in reality the existence of habits, habit cultivation, and the results of those habits, responses, reactions, and the consequences. But you never find a, a, a me, a mine, a self. If you look and if you study, if you really are honest and um, take a look at, at yourself, you find that there is not, there's nothing really that you could call a self. And so it, it, it isn't so much that you come to a view there is no self, there is no personality, there is no soul, it's that you come to realize that that way of looking at things has nothing to do with what's really going on, which is this much more complex, on the one hand complex, um, or what's the word, Yeah, complex arrangement of very simple things, which is experience. Experience, the reaction to experience, which is just more experience. So that's the first one. So the idea that we're worthless just means that there is no thing in there to, to, to be worth anything. It's not that you should feel, you should hate yourself or something. That would be equally silly. So there's nothing there to find. If you look at experience, experiences come and they go. And so the consequences of seeing reality from an experiential point of view are non-attachment, or that you're, you're free, you're liberated from that. There's nothing that comes that you feel bad about and you, or you feel sad about, nothing that goes that you feel a loss. It's, it's not, it's not in, seen in terms of me and mine. I mean, this is all 
intellectual, I'm, I'm providing information for your intellect, but this is what you see through the meditation practice. You, you bring your mind to a very simple state, and it's just an ordinary state. Here we are, sitting here, seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, feeling, thinking that's real, it's It's the na it's nature. There is no self or soul in nature. And that's the first fetter. I'm, I'll just go through these. I won't give the details of the sutta exactly, but it's basically what he's talking about. And the second uh, fetter is doubt. Doubt about, particularly doubt about doubt about the, the about about this about suffering, doubt about suffering. Let's put it very simply. Doubt about suffering. Doubt about suffering just means really uncertainty. Uncertainty about suffering. Uncertainty about what is suffering And what that means is you just don't know, right? And what it means is, is there are certain things that we strive for and cling to That in fact, having obtained and attained Make us suffer, make, bring us stress We do things, we act in ways that hurt us and hurt others. Why do we get angry? Well, the argument is that we wouldn't, if we knew that anger was stressful and a cause for suffering, and not just up here, but if we knew in our hearts that it was a problem, we would never get angry. So a person who gets angry is someone who doesn't understand suffering. It's like a person who kicks, kicks they, they stub their foot or they bump into something and then they get angry and kick it. Right? That person doesn't understand that the, the table or the chair isn't isn't really responsible for your suffering and isn't gonna isn't gonna benefit. I mean even more or, or more seriously, if someone does say something bad and then you hit them or you 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 attack them verbally, such a person doesn't understand suffering. It's the, those verbal and physical acts are are not the way to find happiness. They're, they're a cause for suffering. They'll create guilt, they'll create fear, they'll create turmoil in your life. They'll create a bad rebirth, someone who is mean to other people, cruel to others, someone who is manipulative or deceitful, dishonest. And the same goes with addiction. You know, we talk about addiction to things like food. People who are seriously addicted to food, there's great suffering. And, and on the one hand, you say, well, they know it's wrong, so why, why are they still doing it? And this is really the, this points to this different kind of knowing. You don't really know that it's wrong. You can say, I know that eating ice cream is wrong. I'm still doing it, but I know, I know it's wrong. Why, why can I not stop? 
because eating ice cream is not the experience the experience is the taste and the, the you don't really understand those tastes if i asked you is the taste of of ha of ice cream happiness you would say most likely say yes a person who especially a person who is addicted to it they say that's the problem and i said no the problem is that you don't understand that it's not really happiness and it's quite simple to show it's, it takes repeated it's not simple to um to see and to really understand and you know believe have a firm conviction because that takes a repeated seeing until finally you say oh, okay i get it but it's easy to show you if you just sit down and be mindful and then you maybe take a, some ice cream and take and practice a, a technique to try and be very mindful while eating ice cream you can see there's really nothing there there's nothing of happiness there I mean it's a hard thing to even conceive of that that could be so I mean take pain for example I mean pain is a bad thing right but there's nothing about pain that is bad and if you learn the technique of, of mindfulness and you come to see this you realize yes, pain is Nothing wrong with pain. I mean, not more than anything else. And so, doubt is, doubt is this uh, uncertainty. And so, again, it's it's not something that you give rise to. It's not when you're sitting here and saying, "Is he right or is he wrong?" It's the it's the lack of certainty. And so, this is something that we all have. Or when we if we haven't for those people who haven't cultivated mindfulness it's something that is in everyone and it goes away as you as you follow the path to to freedom and it is freedom once you have no doubt one you have once you have certainty and it's a certainty that is based completely on experience I mean, that would be the only way because if you have complete certainty that ice cream is something that makes you happy okay, we'd argue that you can't have complete certainty because it's not based on this deep, clear, real experience if you actually experience ice, eating ice cream as it's happening moment by moment by moment you can't you can't maintain the attachment, it just never arises. There never arises the desire, the wanting, even the liking of the ice cream. Which might seem kind of drab and bland, but it's actually such a relief. In, in actuality, if you experience that state, it's so relieving and freeing and, and peaceful. It's quite the opposite of bland and drab. There were no more ice cream. What a horrible world, right? It would be so wonderful if people were not. If we were not so. Ice cream is apparently a very bad food. If you didn't know, one monk told me that it's apparently the worst thing you can possibly eat. I don't know. I mean, I think it's just the most fattening thing, or something like that, or for diabetes, or anyway. The point. Um, that's not really the point. The point being our attachment to things like ice cream. And it's a very good example because it's an easy one to imagine or to visual, envision the, the, you know, the great desire and liking and feeling of happiness that we have.
You know, kids eating their ice cream cones, how happy they are, right? We wonder why they fight and why they cry. And they're not actually all that happy. And the more ice cream you give them, it doesn't actually make them cry less, fight less, act up less. That's the second one, doubt. Doubt about suffering, doubt about the way to doubt about the way to become free from suffering, right? How do you free yourself? So people who if you haven't done the work to cultivate mindfulness, if you haven't come to understand and, and put into practice mindfulness, you'll always have this uncertainty. Because from our point of view there's no other way. If you're not mindful of reality, you're never going to become free from suffering. Number two, number three. Number three is is related to number two, but it's wrong practice. Wrong practice. Yeah. Practice outside of the path, and what that means is we're never we're never free until you be until you come become enlightened let's put it clearly you're never free from the potential to practice the wrong way and so in a worldly sense this means doing the wrong thing in your life i mean it it, it really means well if you if you act again in ways that create suffering but it really refers to your religious practice, your spiritual practice. You know, it's possible to be caught up in ritual. Now, ritual isn't a bad thing. It's not bad to light candles or incense or bow to the Buddha or something like that that they do in Buddhist countries. But it's quite wrong to think that such things are going to lead to enlightenment, that in and of themselves this some ritual act, like there are some um, some places that have these prayer wheels blowing in the wind, and they're turning in the wind. And the idea is because you because that prayer wheel is turning, something good happens. Right? And you're not even doing it. You're not even doing the act. Other places, you know, they have these prayer wheels that they turn in their hands or they turn with their hands. And the idea is that it it's reciting the the this sutta for you. The the discourse is being recited because it's turning, something like that. And it well it's true that such such acts have make a connection, right? Suppose you had this sutta that we're studying tonight and you put it on a wheel and we spun it and we said, Here I'm spinning this. Now when you do that you might feel great confidence and you know great conviction and great happiness and great appreciation for the teaching and you're doing it because you appreciate the teaching so much and all of that is is you could say a part of right practice but that's quite different from having this belief this view this idea that uh, that those practices that that the actual turning or the actual activity I mean, we have we have 
We have examples in, in our culture like knocking on wood. If you think knocking on wood is going to affect the outcome of your life, besides give you pain knuckles, no, I, th I think that's um, that's what's being talked about here. I mean, quite clearly that's what the Buddha meant here. There's two aspects of it. Um, some people refrain from certain activities, like in other religions they'll refrain from... Um, like my grandmother has plates for milk and meat. So if if you have milk, if you ever have milk on this plate, you can never have meat on that plate. And we once went and we once had a pizza at her apartment that had pepperoni on it, and she got a special knife, and she kept that knife in a special place for us so that when we if we ever came back for pizza, I don't know if she kept that knife, but we couldn't use any of her her cutlery for it. I mean, there are other religious teachings that refrain from certain things that it's not necessary to refrain from. Um, there's you know, many examples refraining from working on a Saturday, for example. Um, but of course they have you know very different views, but you know these ideas in, in, in India that if you if you stood on one leg it would lead to some kind of spiritual enlightenment. You know, it might gain you great fortitude of body and mind on the one hand, but the actual standing on one leg is probably not gonna not going to make you more enlightened than not. And the other side is, uh, oh, sorry, that's the other side is the actual acts, doing things. And there's you know, in, there's any number of these. But a person who has so this is an ordinary, for all of us, we're subject to this potential until we come to see the truth and then we're freed from it because we have no illusion about what is the right way to practice. It's clear that, well, this is reality. We have these experiences and these reactions and it's just our misunderstanding of how this system works that's causing us suffering. So that's the path. There's no mystery or, or doubt or uncertainty. And there's 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 no possibility or potential for standing on one leg to be an influencing factor because it has nothing to do with this with reality or bowing a thousand times or, or it has to do with the state of your mind so it's possible to do all these things mindfully and therefore that being the important part. That's number three. Number four, uh, sensual lust or desire, sensuality. Well, number four and number five, sensual lust and ill will. These are the two opposites, really. So these two are, are, are you could say, based on... They're based on things like identity view and... Uh, doubt, uncertainty, ignorance. But these two, what we call liking and disliking, we put it really simply, these really make up the core of the problem. Or the core of the problem as it is 
uh, experienced by us. You know, so, personality view in and of itself, you could say, well, you know, one one at university, this uh, I was having a conversation with someone, and she said, "What's wrong with personality?" Actually, two people now have asked me that, and, and it's true. It sounds it seems quite innocuous. Yes, I, I have a view of self, and so on. And so, in and of itself, personality belief, this view of personality, doesn't seem like a problem. The problem is when reality rears its ugly head and, and is nothing like what you thought, like suddenly your mind changes, suddenly your possessions disappear or are no longer under your control, suddenly your ego is threatened by someone who says you're this, you're that, insults you. you know. Look at insults or even criticisms or manipulations, Gaslighting and all these sorts of things Look at how vulnerable we are How sensitive we are How we, we always feel or We feel like um, we're being judged We can feel like we're not measuring up Or like we have to measure up Or it's competition and all these things But when that happens Of course then there's liking and disliking If I praise you and say You all are such wonderful people And you if you care what I say, then you feel happy. But then if on the other hand I say you're all worthless, then oh. You feel threatened. So liking and disliking are what would really cause the problems. It's just that they have their basis in things like personality view. So these ones... These are natural, right? We'd say, well, everybody has them. They're a part of nature. It's, it's who we are. And yes, that's true. Buddhism doesn't claim to uh, make you ordinary. It doesn't claim to be the ordinary state. What it claims is that our ordinary state is kind of messed up. It's not perfect. You know, we have this romanticized view of things like nature. Well, if you look at nature, it's really some kind of hell because wild animals don't really live in 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 peace. You know, the cruelty in nature maybe not maybe not on par with the cruelty in 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 the human realm. No, certainly not. There's too much. There's not enough intelligence to be that cruel. But um, you know, violent nature in the animal realm shows us, and and even the you know just the physical natural realm of diseases and sicknesses and all this. It's um, I mean, you look no farther than mosquitoes to see that this, the world is not all roses and is it. Uh, Sugar and spice and all things nice. So it. So the the point is not to not to romanticize this, 
this the, even this earth because it's quite a small part of, of the universe to 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 look at the broader picture the human realm there's nothing special about it like somehow this is the way things should be we have that sense uh, in in the west anyway because of culturally we've been generally brought up well our culture is, has very strong theistic roots and so of course theists believe that sort of thing um, but there's no reason other than that other than a belief in God to, to believe in in uh, the, you know, the supremacy of, of the way things are that we were created in God's image for example And so, dis disregarding that, we, we we really just ask ourselves: some of it, some of nature, could be quite good. You know, things like love and compassion are certainly good, and those are natural. But just because it, it's not good because it's natural, it's good because it's good. It's good because it leads to happiness. Truly, leads to peace and happiness. And so that's what we aim to find. And and greed and anger do not lead to peace and happiness. There are things that we could, in some ideal state, be better off without. And I think for the most part, there's just a sense that we could never be free from them. Um, and that's uh, the, great, the great thing about this path, the practice, is that you certainly can be free from them if you practice properly. They're only reactions. They're moments of experience where you judge something. Maybe you like something I'd say and you, you, you feel this kind of uh, liking of it. Or maybe you dislike something and say there's a disliking of it. Maybe you're sitting here and you feel so happy to be in this place and then when you get home you'll be depressed because... Oh, you got to go back to your home life, your your ordinary life. On the other hand, maybe you're sitting here, when is he going to stop talking? And you're suffering. Well, either way, it's, the point is these lead to suffering. I mean, disliking, displeasure is suffering already. There's no question that when uh, anger, ill will, disliking of any kind arises, it's stressful. It's something we would like to avoid. Um, but liking is just the same. It's only because of liking certain things that we fall into suffering because we like, ultimately, what we actual li actually like is experiences. And when when experiences are, are different from that, it's when we, that's when there comes the stress. If If there were no liking, no partiality, no wanting or craving and there would be no I mean no disappointment or loss or sadness or, or stress or even the worry of losing the things that you are still have the worry about attaining things that haven't come yet the worry about death and old age sickness when you're not sick we wouldn't be worried if we didn't have the liking of being alive and healthy and so and so it turns out that this 
liking and disliking, this desire and aversion, it's, it's not really all that useful. It's a part of who we are. That, and this is not something that I expect ordinary people to believe, ordinary be people who aren't, don't subscribe to this idea to believe, but it's a challenge. The challenge is my claim or our claim that this is what you you will see if you just be mindful. You don't have to believe or, or agree with anything, I say. But part of this is our claim of a, being a description of what you actually will see if you look. If you just objectively, for yourself, observe experience, this is what you'll see. So that's really what we aim for. These are the five lower fetters. There are five more that are a little more, I mean, they're along the same lines, but they're a little more refined. In fact, I've talked, sort of mentioned tangentially several of them, probably all of them. But basically that's what the sutta is about. He talks about, uh, there's a little more to it, but I'm not going to go into it. I really recommend this one to read. I also recommend them all to read, but this one I think is, uh, is quite a good one. He talks about going into states of meditative calm and then um, seeing things as impermanent suffering. Like he goes, he gives a really detailed, not just impermanent suffering and non-self, which means seeing things, um, the things that we cling to, or seeing reality as not being worth clinging to. Seeing that of those things that we try to fix, or we try to maintain, we try to obtain, we try to uh, hold. Uh, the reality underlying all of that is not anything worth holding or clinging to or maintaining. And this act of maintaining is not beneficial. Anyway, he goes into detail. I'm not going to go into this great detail, but you're interested, I definitely recommend reading it. But for now, that's the Dhamma for tonight. So thank you all for tuning in. Have a good night.